story of Christ the child born for you and me. We'll read the words of Luke chapter 2, our text being from an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah chapter 40. But first, if you would uh, like to follow along, we are looking at that familiar Christmas story as Luke records it in the gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, sharing the truth of Jesus' coming. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds lying, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And from that sense of verse 14, the declaration of the glory of God, the prophet Isaiah in Chapter 40, verse 5, our text, 40, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the glory of the Lord will be revealed. How does that happen exactly? How is the glory of the Lord revealed? People of God gathered here in thanks this Christmas day. We are giving thanks to God, celebrating the birth of Jesus, a glorious, glorious truth. Sometimes couples will share with each other about a birth of, of their children. And so couples will get together, moms and dads, and they get to talking a little bit about, oh, how it went when, when our children were born, and they'll begin to speak about that. Moms will recall how they felt during the nine months, the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, how that all went, and, and the dads will share how they coped along the way. And it's, it's kind of fun. And they're just sharing those experiences. They often add... Uh, some extra details about the difficulty of things if there's a, a new couple there expecting. And they just 
share some of those little more stressful aspects of birth. The Christmas story is God telling us about the birth of his son. So God, the Father, is telling us here in his word the story of that birth. The pregnancy was long and it was hard. And so the, the sense of the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament story of Israel expecting a Savior. The Old Testament Israel was pregnant all through the record that's there, hoping for the birth of the Messiah, the Savior. And it was a difficult pregnancy in terms of, if we make that analogy, the people of Israel were expecting a Savior. It had been thousands of years with many problems and complications along the way. You can think about, yeah, morning sickness. So initially with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you read those stories, how God is, is bringing the hope of salvation there, it was difficult at times. There were, it wasn't just simple and easy if you think about uh, pregnancy and nausea and vomiting, sometimes ladies experience that. It says specifically in the Old Testament, at a particular point, the people are unfaithful to God and the land vomits them out. It actually says, the land throws up. It's not going well. This is God's plan to bring a savior to the world through his people Israel but it's a difficult pregnancy there is lower back pain headaches there is bleeding much blood is shed in the Old Testament all in the process of this baby this savior being born but finally the time comes for the baby to be born Galatians 4 verse 4 sums it up. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. In that sense of Isaiah 40 verse 5, the glory of the Lord is revealed. The birth takes place. A great and glorious miracle of God. And we can recognize that too in our own lives, in our own experience, whenever a baby is born. I know when our boys were born, a miracle glorious what a day and so that sense of Jesus being born the miracle of the Savior being born is glory to God in the highest because this is his son and that sense of glory Jesus the child who the whole world was waiting for Jesus the Savior that's been longed for all through the centuries this is a birth for the ages and for all people. Jesus is born as the Savior of the world. So nothing greater, nothing more glorious. Glory to God in the highest. And this Savior, this King, for those who receive him will have the assurance of life, joy, peace here, and an eternal future opens up that Struggles and death are not the end. 
Jesus opens the way to life and eternity. And so it's appropriate, it's unique that angels greet his birth. Boy, that's, that's glory to God. And that's why reading from Luke 2, verse 14 too, they sing glory to God in the highest. Yes, we are so blessed to receive the Savior. That angel choir was so beautiful, more beautiful. We had the Parkland men's choir here, and they were wonderful. But this was so much more. We've been looking at Handel's Messiah, and we thought to sing the Hallelujah Chorus here this morning. That's not going to happen. But, but the thought was too, so glorious. A great and glorious moment. Glory to God in the highest. That is Christmas. That's what is being revealed when it says in Isaiah 40, verse 5, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And he talks about the different, different struggles, but all of a sudden, the glory of God. That's definitely one side. That's definitely there. But the Christmas story has glory of God in the lowest. There's glory of God in the highest. But, but to say the glory of God in the highest, we have to recognize that the glory of God comes down into even the very lowest. And that is a huge, huge, huge part, seeing the Christmas story and giving glory to God in the highest, that his glory comes down to us and comes down even to the very lowest and the most even unworthy. And I wanted just to consider that with you for a moment. Mary and Joseph are very low. In the social standing of things, she just, a teenager from a small town, he a poor carpenter. This is nothing fancy, folks. This is very, very simple, very plain. Both of them are descendants of King David. And the genealogies that you read in Matthew and Luke give the the descent that they are indeed from royal line, and they're going to David's town. But that's, that's all gone. That's nothing for them. They have no benefit there. They are poor folk, no glory. Yet the glory of God extends down to them. The shepherds that are mentioned in Luke 2 are also very uh, low on the social scale, very much neglected, very much looked down upon in the society there. Shepherds were not trusted. They were, their reputation was very low. And yet they received this, this angel message. The glory extends down even to clearly unworthy, sinful people. The second aspect of that birth is the place where they are born, in Bethlehem. And that is not is not a great place. We kind of have, have cleaned it up and thought, oh boy, this must be a wonderful place. But it was not. Small, insignificant. The Magi looking for the baby, the king went, went to the Jerusalem, to the palace, but, but he wasn't there. He was in just a, a nothing town, insignificant, and laying there in a manger. That's how... The, the God of all the earth comes down. And I just wanted to add one other detail in terms of 
it's, it's nice there's extended family here. And, and it's nice on Christmas Day, too, to people who are over and relatives and, and stuff. And, of course, that's, that's excellent. And when, when Christmas comes, a special time, and then, then family comes and stays, and you welcome them into your home, of course, as much as you can. You make arrangements so that they are nicely taken care of. Our boys came home, and they're nicely in the basement. Like We don't make them sleep out in the garage. They're in the house, and it's good. But the picture here, and for those who first read the Christmas account, Luke 2, as it's presented, it's striking that the family of Joseph and Mary didn't take care of them. In the Bible times, family was, was everything. You looked after each other. No, no questions asked. Hospitality was prized and expected. And so in the picture of, of Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem, you have the sense of there are a lot of relatives in that town, and those relatives have found a place to stay And if they know that Joseph is there with Mary, and she's expecting, then they will find a place for her because that's their duty. That's their family obligation. That's what they love to do anyway. It's not burdensome, really. But the picture here is that Mary and Joseph are not welcome. And that picture is a sense of in the family itself... They are the lowest. They are the least. They have had this this unexpected pregnancy. They have this story about God working through them, but the rest of the family knows that God would have nothing to do with this, this couple because they are sinful. And so the family pulls back and doesn't help. There's already hints of that earlier on in Luke chapter 1, verse 56, where it says in relation to Mary that after she did get pregnant, that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So there was already a sense of, yeah, the support really wasn't there because this was not understandably such a good thing. And so that reality of the birth Mary and Joseph are there in a, in a stable. And even, even after the birth, that the, the family didn't come and, and kind of mother, mother-in-law, whoever, to help and support. It's all out of the picture with the sense of, of God comes to the very lowest and the very least and the most unworthy. That's hugely part of the story. Hugely part of the account. And then the reality that that comes just a little after is that they are forced to become refugees as well. After a time when King Herod realizes that, that the Magi haven't reported back to him and King Herod is threatened by the fact that there might be a new king, then he comes and, and threatens the uh, the child, and it says in Matthew 2:13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you, for Herod is a going to search for the child to kill him. 
And so, so the whole family has to move again, and they become refugees. It, it wasn't a pleasant move. It wasn't an easy move, and there was no place for them in Egypt either. And, and if you think about the refugee camps in Syria right now, it's not nice. It's not good. It's awful. And so the, the picture is, is more and more and more, lower and lower and lower. God comes down into the most difficult situations of, of people struggling in sin, of, of world situations where people are refugees. How can that be in this world where, where people are supposed to be good to each other and love each other and take care of each other? How can that happen? It happens all the time. And even in our experience, in families, some family members are in, some are out. And we judge and we point fingers. Churches happens too. It shouldn't, but it does. And in that reality of sinfulness, humble, weak, and lowly comes the Savior, holy. The reality of God coming down is the truth of the Christmas story. And as, as Christmas works itself out in the story of the life of Jesus, the true comfort and joy of Christmas comes out because in the life of Jesus, Jesus' whole life as recorded in the Gospels is one where he is denied and rejected. And in the end, he is nailed to a cross. The lowest position the lowest, lowest, lowest in that society. If someone is nailed to the cross, they are hated by everyone on earth and they are hated by God in heaven, is the picture. They are lifted up from the earth. Nobody on earth wants them. And they're not in heaven. They're just hanging in between, all alone. And the sense when we in our lives too feel, I'm all alone. Yeah, I've done some bad things. God doesn't love me. I've done some bad things. My family doesn't love me. My church couldn't care less about me. I'm all alone. That, that sense of, of sin isolating and, and destroying, and Jesus goes right there to that very lowest point and even to the point of death, to the grave, which is the lowest point that we have in our human experience. And Jesus even dies and is buried. Right down the glory of God in the lowest. That's the, the hope of Christmas. For from his birth, through his life, to his death, we see in Jesus a constant willingness in love to go down as far as he needs to go in order to put an end to the downward spiral of the curse of sin and death to save us, to save us who apart from him have no hope, are lost. And so the story of Jesus that begins at Christmas ends with Easter and the story of Jesus' resurrection and then glory to God in the highest as he rises again to new life, reborn, and his victory over sin and death. And in him we get receive life when we put our faith in him, when we put our trust in him, when we 
call on him even when we feel so lonely, so lost. Then he comes and gives peace and joy. And he raises us up when we feel down. He forgives the sinful things that we are ashamed of. He forgives when we call on him. He restores family tensions in grace and love. And even in the sadness of death, even as we stand by the grave, we have hope that this is not the end. Jesus fills the emptiness with the assurance that our loved ones are with him. And so the glory of God is in Jesus. From his birth to his life, through his death and resurrection. So that's what we celebrate as the Savior comes. We lift our eyes, our hearts to Jesus again today when we see again his love that he comes to each of us and invites us to put our hope, our trust in him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for being our Savior. We thank you for making your way down, down to each one here, wherever we feel we're at, whatever struggles there are, whatever uncertainties, whatever hurts and pain, Lord, that you know and that you are ready to enter in again today by your word and spirit. May our celebration this morning, may family times in this time be encouraging, strengthening. May they draw us closer to you, the one true hope, and that as we look to you again this day, that you, our living Lord, would receive and embrace and bless. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond in singing, What Child Is This?
offerings for the work of World Renew, they go out in a very much a hands-on work of support and ministry to those in need. And we have a, a, a strong effort going in the Philippines. And so we wanted also to support that work here as God's word and work goes out in the world. See 